0: Shanna's going to go ahead and, and go first, and uh, we apologize in advance for all the motorcycles blowing by.
1: Yeah, let us know if you can't hear it for some reason, because we can't tell everybody to stop driving by our house, even though sometimes we'd like to. <laughs> so, Steve asked us to um, share about one of our favorite stories of faith, and mine might be a little unconventional because um, I'm going to share about Joe. Job is one of my personal favorite books of the Bible. Um I love the book of Job because he perseveres in his faith in God in spite of everything that Satan throws at him. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the book of Job, I'll give you a really high-level overview. So um basically Satan comes to God and God says, hey, have you seen my servant Job? He's pretty awesome. And Satan's like, oh, he only is he only is faithful to you because you give him all the stuff that he wants. And um, if you took all that stuff away, he, he'd curse you and he wouldn't be faithful. And so God gives Satan permission to test Job. Um, So then in a matter of a fairly short period of time, all of his livestock and his servant, all of his livestock is stolen and his servants are slaughtered. Job was a fairly wealthy man. And so Um, Losing his livestock and his servants is the equivalent of losing your job and all of your savings, all of your financial stability. And then all of his children are killed in a freak storm. And then not too much later, he himself is afflicted with a painful skin condition that robs him of his health. The only thing that Satan leaves him is his wife, who is hurting and bitter herself and provides Job with no comfort. Job despairs of life and wishes he had died, In Job three twenty-five, he says, "What I feared has come upon me; what I dreaded has happened to me." Then his three friends Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar come to sit shiva with him, which is the Jewish practice of sitting for seven days and nights with the grieving to be a witness to their suffering. They were not allowed to speak unless spoken to, but apparently they spent a lot of time thinking about what Job must have done to deserve his suffering because they spend the next 20 plus chapters going back and forth with him about how all of this loss is somehow Job's fault. Through all of this, Job's bitterness does increase. And though he started out as blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, over time he begins to question God, putting to put him on trial. Eventually, God rebukes Job, not by pointing out Job's flaws or sin, but by reminding Job of who he is. And if you have a chance, read the last chapters of Job because it's some of the most beautiful language in the Bible about God and who he is and about his power. It really is fantastic. Um, lost my eyes. Okay. God decides that Satan has had his way long enough, and after Job repents, and also, and God also rebukes his friends for not speaking of God what is right, God restores Job and blesses him even more than before. So, I relate to Job, um, because some of you, many of you know this, but I struggled for over 15 years, um, with clinical depression and, um, really struggled to figure out what was going on. Um, and I had lots of friends in different places, different age brackets who said spiritual sounding things that hurt more than helped. Um, I've never experienced loss on the scale that Job did, but I can definitely relate to his suffering. And what have I learned from Job? So I'll give you four things that I learned from Job. First, asking why is not charging God with wrongdoing. He's big enough to handle our questions. He may not give us an answer, but he is willing to let us ask as we strive to trust him. Second, grief is not sin. Sorrow is not sin. Despair is not sin. But we need wise counselors, even if they're younger than us, to help us to not stay there too long. I think that's why Job became bitter the way he did, was because he didn't have, he didn't get the compassion and the care that he needed from the people around him. Third, we need to listen more than we speak. It's so easy for me to jump on the accuser's bandwagon and to look for behavior that justifies another's circumstances or to feel like I need to have answers to their why. But sometimes my speculation does more harm than good. It may be more helpful for me to keep my mouth shut and just grieve with people instead of offering pat answers. And the last thing that I wanted to share is that the bad things that happen in my life, the things that I fear may not happen to me because I've let God down or because he's disappointed in me, but because of a much more profound reason. I've been listening to the Bema podcast, and some of you are familiar with with this particular podcast. It's done by a man named Marty Solomon, and he is he's of a Jewish background as well as being a Christian. And so he um, goes in depth into uh, a lot of scripture and I love his perspective, but one of the things that he talks about in almost every single podcast are the chiasms in each passage that he's looking at. And a chiasm is a literary device that presents a series of ideas and then repeats them in reverse order. The result of this is to create emphasis, repetition, or clarification, usually of the idea that falls in the center of the chiasm. And he, if you listen to his podcast about Job, he gets really excited about it and sends you all sorts of nerdy websites that you can go to and look at the chiasms. And he's like, it's a chiasm within a chiasm, that at the center of the chiasm in Job is chapter 28. Chapter 28, it's interesting, as it talks about in the first two thirds of the passage, it talks about um, it talks about mining and man mining for jewels and gold and iron and all of the things that mankind has accomplished um, through mining. And at the end of the chapter, it seems a little um, can't think of the word, but they just don't seem to totally go together. Um, but it starts to talk about wisdom, and in verses twenty through twenty-eight, it says. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. Then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to man, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So maybe this, with this being the focus of that chiasm, the center of the book of Job, maybe suffering is the way God unearths a treasure talked about in Proverbs 4 verse 7. Wisdom is supreme, therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Thank
0: you, hun. All right, so we were trying to figure out a good way to put our two thoughts together here, but, and I feel like God kind of did uh, provide us a way to do that, so I'll jump right in. So a couple of the, the brothers and I, uh, for our life team, last uh, Tuesday night, we met down at Oakledge Park uh, in Burlington, and, uh, you know, we were scheduled to meet for like an hour or however long we went, and we circled up. Uh, it was a beautiful night. It was really, it was nice and warm, um, lots of people in the park, and uh, there, was a, there was a nice orange glow over the lake uh, with blue skies, you know, it looked pretty. It looked like there was, you know, the sun was starting to go down, not really sunset yet, but sun was kind of shining through what probably was a rainstorm, you know, over on the Adirondack side. And uh, we just sat there and talked for a while, shared thoughts on how our week had been going so far and, and the topic that Steve had discussed on Sunday. But, with, like, within 20 minutes, we started to get a few drops, and we're like, hey, the, you know, the skies are kind of clouding up here, stuff is starting to move in. Why don't we go ahead and run over there under the, the shelter, if there's a picnic shelter nearby in Oakledge Park. And, uh, other people started to sense the same thing. So people were in our area were moving over and, uh, but within a minute of arriving, just the heavens opened up and it was just like, it, it just unleashed. And I'm pretty sure I have never experienced, uh, such a fast, uh, a sudden and fast moving storm. Uh, it was, you know, we were kind of laughing with disbelief of how strong it was and, and just how fast it came up. It, it came up from like no breeze at all to an all out gale, just like within a minute or two. And just when he thought, hey, this is crazy, it just continued to intensify, um, and become more violent. And the, the trees were like, it's almost, it almost felt like the trees were grass, you know, the grass kind of blowing in a gentle breeze, but kind of blowing over. The trees were doing this like sway thing and, and leaves were starting to come down. Small branches were starting to come down. I think Zach and Nate had originally Sat down near the edge of the shelter, but we all started edging in because the rain was now starting to blow under the shelter. And, uh, you know, I was afraid the huge tree next to us was going to come down. It was just crazy. So it didn't, and it didn't matter how far, ultimately it didn't matter how far under the shelter you got because the rain started coming in horizontally. So we were within a minute or two, we were soaked. The guys will back me up on this. And, uh, oh, hang on here. So I, I think, the temperature dropped too, which was kind of astounding. And I mean, we were cold and with wind blowing, just being soaked, I was freezing. And I think Steve was too. He was chattering. And I'm watching the rain drip down his glasses and off the end of his nose. I don't know if the other people there experienced this, but you know, I felt very exposed, even still being under the shelter. I still felt very exposed to the storm. It's just an open shelter with a roof and the roof was maybe like, you know, 12 feet high. And it didn't shelter us from the rain, um, so I, I felt very exposed. You just kind of hang in there, hope it ends soon. We actually we ended up joining and uh, singing "Happy Birthday" to some poor young lady whose savvy group of friends were trying to salvage her birthday party. Um, she'll probably remember that birthday. But everybody was just in awe of, of this storm as it rolled through, and it, you know, eventually it kind of it actually not not that it slowly stopped, it kind of just went stop. And then the sounds of sirens, you know, the, the fire department, the police, they started, you know, you can hear all those guys starting up, moving around town. And uh, this went on for like 10 minutes, though. But within minutes, the, the sky had blue patches again. And uh, the sunset, had, you know, it colored the clouds back to that kind of golden sunset color. And you're just like, wow, that that was intense. We didn't even know what to think of. We kind of squelch sw- our way back to our cars to leave, and I left one window in the car open, and somehow my car was dry. So I was grateful about that. But, you know, honestly, we, we learned more about the – we experienced more about the power of God in that 10 minutes than we would have got by talking about it for an hour. So it was just – it was really amazing. And I think, obviously, 2020 is going to go down in history as a year of storms. We've been weathering COVID now for – more than half a year with no specific light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it'd be hard to argue. It hasn't changed our world. And then outside of that, you get to consider, you know, the wars around the globe, the hunger of the children in Yemen, uh, economic hardships, politics, racism, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, protests, riots. I mean, you name it, 2020 is delivered. And it, and it actually might be a great hurricane season to boot if you're feeling like something is missing. So it's been a trying year for many of us uh, in varying ways, and few of us have escaped entirely, and we still got four and a half months to go. With all of this, though, I felt like a a dizzying array of emotions. So there's been uncertainty, fear, anger, frailty, weakness, complicitness, hopelessness, helplessness, and it's been hard to understand how my, my faith in God really fits in all this, how it how it would help or how I can help others. But despite all these emotions, I still believe that God has a plan. I don't know on earth, you know, what it could be possible, what it possibly could be at the moment. <laughs> but I see time and time again in the Bible, how God brings his people through difficult times. They're refined and they're different and often more faithful at the other end. And this time in history, because at, you know, at some point, this will be history. When we look back, it'll be no different, but we will be changed. So this morning, I have just three quick thoughts. Hopefully they're quick. <laughs> so refuge from the storm, riders on the storm, and blue skies and rainbows. All right, we'll see if we can make each of these thoughts quick. I removed about half of the sermon after I wrote it, so just to try to make it a little bit shorter. So in Psalm 46.1, it says, God is our refuge and strength in ever-present help in times of trouble. In the Old Testament, we see that King David, you know, a lesson that was kind of drilled into his character over time was that God was a trusted stronghold. He was a fortress, a place to run to, and somebody who had his back. It wasn't just a concept for David, but it was an experienced reality for him, and it was recorded for us so that we could consider this today when facing our own trials. David was put in multiple situations where God was really his only way out, uh, and he was rescued time and time again. David's trust was built on consistent rescues, and he probably better understood when writing after the event that God was with him and brought him through. So hindsight is 20, 20 right? You don't always have faith, and hope is, you know, your immediate thought or reaction when going through a trial. Sometimes it's quite the opposite, and neither did David. You know, half of what we see him writing is he was bearing his soul, you know, bringing his complaints to God or begging for rescue while in the midst of it. You know, he wasn't 100% faithful. In, in what he was going through at the moment either. So I'm encouraged that a, a hero of faith, you know, he was built over time with lots of complaining and I, it makes me feel better. <laughs> um, but God's heart and, heart and concern for us today in 2020 hasn't changed. So in Luke 13:34, Jesus says, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And Chandra had a quick, uh, Experience with this one with our chickens when we used to have them. So,
1: <laughs> so when Adara was little, she was probably three or four years old. We raised uh, half a dozen chicks, and these were totally spoiled babies. I would gather the six of them in my lap and wrap them up in a towel, and they would take a nap there. So I was really mama hen with these with this batch of babies, and so I had them out in the garden with me one day, and they're scratching and looking for bugs, and this was when they were still pretty small. Um, and I'm squatting in the garden weeding, and all of a sudden a hawk flew over. And I looked down, and all of the chicks had gathered underneath me to hide from the hawk while it flew over. It was funny. It was really cute.
0: And I think that Jesus actually, so it was neat that we experienced, or Chandra experienced this and related to me, and because I immediately, that's what the script. I went back to the scripture. Otherwise, it's kind of like, I mean, I, I get it, I guess, but the experience helped me to understand that Jesus was probably relating this to the people around them because maybe backyard chickens were more of a thing back then. And people understood this, mm-hmm. that the chicks run to the mother hen for shelter. And uh, and we, we can do that with God. And I feel like it's very relatable. Back to Psalm 46, one ever present help. Does this encourage you? God is our ever present help. David believed that. Might God be using 2020 to bring his children back under his wings? Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to be our refuge. Next thought, writers of the storm. So hold on to your hats. Interestingly, many of the stories of the Bible are ones where people are or a person or a people. They're not actually removed from the, the path of the storm. They're in it. Um, so, you know, despite maybe feeling like God should remove the storm from us or prevent us from going through it in the first place, that doesn't seem to be what happens most of the time, or at least not, what's, not as what is uh, recorded in the Bible. You don't, you typically don't find heroes without trials and building character typically does not come without pain. Facing storms is a reality for all of us as, uh, just as we grow into adulting, uh, and it's never easy. But in Acts 17 in verse 26, it says, he marked out our appointed times in history and where we live. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he was not far from any of us. So, Seems like we're here in Vermont or obviously wherever you are watching this from and in 2020 for a purpose. With God, there are no accidental oopsies, no shoot from the hip, no seat from the pants or seat of the pants. God's not surprised by the events that are happening around us and where you happen to be within them. So are you encouraged that he is not far from each one of us? I am. In Psalm 62 Verse 8, it says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. So while we're in the storm, what can we do? How do we ride it out without losing our sanity, our hope, our faith? The waves and the wind seem like they may overwhelm this small boat. And, of course, we can flail and bail as we attempt to sail. I wrote that. (laughs) Uh, She thought I was dumb, maybe. Sometimes – Staying busy can temporarily help you distract you and the panic part is really easy. But the one thing we can control and what actually makes the most difference is setting our hearts, uh, for setting our hearts is where we place our trust and who we pour our hearts out to. So God wants this. He's okay to hear from you. Your faith may waver in the waves, but he's still willing to reach out his hand and draw you into safety. And then finally, blue skies and rainbows. Hold on to hope. And they whom won, Uh, Verse seven, it says, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. There's always an end to the storm. It eventually passes over. Uh, You watch it rumble and flash away in the distance, ever quieter. The sun comes back out and the birds start singing again. Things may be soggy. You might have to clean up the yard and pick up all the branches. But eventually things get put back together again and orders restored. During the storm, And during the storm last week, for us, it seemed like it would never end. Ten minutes was a long time. It was continually intensifying, more and more scary, more and more out of our control. All the trust, all that trust might seem to go out the window despite your attempts to hold on to it. But the storm does end, and once again, God brings you through. Maybe not fully unscathed, possibly a little worse for wear, but definitely a bit more prepared next time to trust more. It might be easier to trust in hindsight. But God's constant love continues to accumulate in your hearts if you allow it. So, what do we end up with? Ever-present help, not far from any of us. He cares for those who trust in Him. So, let's close out by reading Lamentations, three, verse twenty-one. So, interestingly, here we have Job and Lamentations as kind of our primary scriptures for today's sermon, right? Good times. Um, but I think all of this is meant for our encouragement, despite the, the title of the of the of the book or the chapter so lamentations 321 says but this i call to mind and therefore i have hope the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness the lord is my portion says my soul therefore i will hope in him so just to close out this this week and for the rest of 2020 four and a half months ago Let's hold on to the hope that we have in God who loves us. So that's what we got. Thank you guys.